Are you looking to reduce your on-farm energy costs, but not sure where to start? Hello and welcome to DairyPod. I'm John Penry from Dairy Australia. In this episode, Jared Leake, CEO at Australian Alliance for Energy Productivity, leads the conversation with Dairy Australia's April Brown and Christopher Horvath from Pitt and Sherry Energy Services. They are discussing on-farm energy efficiencies, quick wins versus long-term planning, and offering ideas on where you can get started. Well, hello and welcome to this first of a series of podcasts designed to help dairy farmers take action on reducing energy costs and improving their profit. I'm your host, Jared Leake, the CEO of the Australian Alliance for Energy Productivity, or more commonly known in energy circles as A2EP. We're a non-for-profit organisation that brings together energy users, advisors and suppliers to help guide improvement in energy performance. My own history of working with Alpha Laval for 20 years holds dairy very close to my heart and my experience and history helps me understand the overall shed operation and especially the energy flows for the dairy shed. Over the last two years, A2EP has been working with Dairy Australia at DPI New South Wales and AgVic to review the results from the AEIP program as well as other energy efficiency programs that have been focused on energy on the farm. We know some farmers have been working with energy for years and some are at the start of their journey. Today, we look at how to get started with energy. And to do so, joining me, I have April Brown and Christopher Horvath. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, I'll start with you, April. If you could uh, just kick us off and tell us a little bit about yourself and, and your background in the dairy industry. Thanks, Jared. So I've been working in the dairy industry for probably 20 years now. Um, I dairy farm in New South Wales with my partner. We milk about 280 uh, mixed breed cows across a seasonal calving herd. I also work for Dairy Australia and have done for the past six years. And my current role is in the education team specialising in learning and development partnerships where I work with um, different education providers, being universities, TAFEs, et cetera, to create new learning opportunities for farmers and their employees. Wonderful. Excellent background to be joining us here. Thank you, April. And Christopher, if you could uh, give yourself a quick introduction and, and let us know your background in the dairy industry. Yeah, sure. Um, my name's Christopher. I work with uh, Pitt & Sherry's Energy Services team. I'm a mechanical engineer with a bit more than 10 years of engineering experience, and that's across the energy industry and the national electricity market, metering and monitoring, and the built environment. Um, the last few years, including while working as part of Pitt & Sherry's team, been doing more focused work across industrial manufacturing, generally speaking, as well as uh, particularly in the food and beverage space. Um, so in the last uh, couple of years, it's, it's been focused um, in some of the milk producing environment, uh, some of the manufacturers, as well as working on um, initiatives with dairy farms in particular. Wonderful. And, and Christa, I look forward to unpacking all that different work and advice you've been giving to dairy farmers. And let's see if uh, April agrees with this advice and tell us how easy that is to, to implement. Um, April, if I can start with you, uh, energy costs and, and things are certainly rising for, for dairy farmers uh, with electricity prices going up. Um, how have you seen this evolving over the last uh, few years and the importance of energy as well? 
I think for our farm, I mean, obviously dairy farm businesses, we use a lot of energy. We do have 24-hour requirements basically with um, keeping our milk cool right through to running the plant. And so the rising energy costs have been a significant impact to the business um, that has, I guess, gone in tandem with some of the changes to milk price as well. So in terms of looking at profitability and, and those sorts of things in our bottom line, energy has probably come much more to the fore in our operational costs and our considerations of how we might actually um, make the most efficiency on farm and, and improve our operating margin. Sounds good. And and Christopher, you've worked across a lot of different dairies with different audits. You're, you're hearing the similar sort of thing and you, you'll notice it coming up in the priorities as well. Yeah, I think it's it's definitely a consideration on on farms, and I think one of the things that strikes me in particular is just how busy farmers can be. Um, so energy costs can be particularly uh, a nuisance when the, the bills come through either monthly or quarterly, and it comes to the front of the mind. Um, and then other times outside of that, they're they're focused on making sure that the, the cows are looked after, that the milk's getting uh, pumped out at the right times, um, and that everyone is is happy on the farm. But certainly, yeah, energy costs are um, are are pain point. And it's interesting there when you talk about, yeah, they've got a thousand things to do and there's other activities when you know that you're, if you've uh, given the, the cows a great pasture, you may see the next day or so the increase in, in the milk production there. Uh, uh, but whereas energy, it, it, you're saying with the bill, it may take a bit longer sort of thing. How, how can a, a farmer work out what uh, how long to spend on this sort of uh, improving energy? Any ideas on that one, Christopher? Yeah, sure. Um so I guess there's a, a couple of interesting points there is, is where, where the farm is looking to go and, and, and lining up where their, their goals are. Um, across the board, everyone's priorities are the, the processing reliability, making sure they can um, do everything day in and day out, as well as making sure they've got good quality milk. So it's taking that step back and, and thinking, all right, where am I now? What are my pain points and how can I get uh, past those. So for me, when, I, when I'm, I'm speaking with almost any any business across food and beverages, um, you know, what are those pain points, um, and and what can we do that aligns with improvements to your energy costs? And April, that sounds about right. Looking, finding for those sort of pain points and what have you. How, how do you go identifying them? Have you have you tried on on your farm looking for those pain points within energy, and and how's that going? I think, you know, energy is one of those things that, to Christopher's point, is something that comes to the front of our mind probably most acutely when we get the bill in the mail. And with dairy farming, you've always got these really front of mind um, tasks on farm, you know, that have to be done. You have to milk the cows. You have to make sure the cows have got enough feed, feed the calves. Those sorts of things really are very ever-present and obvious in the daily operations. And something like energy does you know, whilst we are aware of it and conscious of it is secondary to that. So when it comes to actually looking at how we make practice change and improvements on farm, for me, you know, we've leaned a lot on consultancy and that sort of thing to bring in not only subject matter expertise, but ensure that we carve out time in our day to actually look at energy efficiency in a robust way because it's not something that necessarily is um, immediately at the top of the priority list when you've got, you know, 300 cows that absolutely have to be milked twice a day um, or whatever size your herd is. So I think it's really important for farmers to 
proactively make that effort to address it. And sometimes that requires bringing in, you know, the extra advice or the extra expertise, um, particularly when it comes to the different types of efficiencies, because for most of us, we aren't, we aren't experts in energy efficiency. Yeah, energy is one of those things that I think sits at the back of everyone's mind. It's just, and it's like a few other things on farm where you think I'd really love to make the time to look into that more. I know that there's gains to be had. I know that there's, but you have all these immediate tasks that need to be done. The cows have to be milked. And it's sort of a a vicious cycle in some ways that you want to find the time, but you physically can't find the time. And I think at the moment, the workforce, um, you know, situation when it comes to available uh, people to have on farm also is exacerbating it. A lot of we're seeing a lot more mm. perhaps owners and managers who would have made the time to do that work and make those decisions actually themselves being in the in the milking shed and and doing the work that perhaps once their employees would have done. And so that even, you know, eats away at that time for strategic thinking and strategic planning about your business. It erodes it even more. Um, so it's just trying to, I think, find the quick wins suffice that you can slowly build your knowledge as well. Mm-hmm. And it's easier for you to make um judgments and evaluation about where those opportunities might be and then what expertise to bring in um, rather than starting from basic, you know, nothing. And I think that's where those government programs really help, where they uh, make it easy for you to to make that assessment. And then you're like, oh, wow, I can see this is a $5,000 per year exercise or something. If I, if I make this change uh, right now, it's like, oh, you sort of don't know what you don't know if you're, well, should I, should I spend several hours reviewing this and, uh, and see if I can make a saving? Like, oh, it's hard to make that commitment to those hours if you don't know, you've got some idea there's going to be a payback. Yeah, and I think a lot of farmers are a bit, cautious of the unknown as well and they they start to hear some horror stories as well of um you know neighbors going down certain paths of particularly around solar panels and things like that that maybe haven't gone so well and it's there's a bit of a mentality of just avoid it it'll be easier if you just avoid it altogether rather than make the time to understand if there is a benefit there for your farm so it's got a little bit of a reputational issue I think that has to be broken down and even if we can start to just turn the dial a bit in terms of energy efficiency awareness and it's not a you know green hippie thing but there is opportunity potentially there for it um then we can slowly shift shift mindset and and make sure farmers are engaging in it in the right way and they're not getting ripped off and they're not being taken advantage of for not having the expertise and understanding yeah i think i think that's hugely important and um yeah, there's a, there's definitely a lot of considerations there, and yeah, the, the energy efficiency side of things, and um, like you said, it can have a an image or a reputation, um, and which is why I, I think more recently I've been coming at it from what are the other other benefits? You know, is it going to increase reliability of those those key services so that you don't have to worry about it, and 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 looking at the next thing? So if you've got a really old piece of equipment. And you're you're fearful that it's going to break down. All right, this is the the perfect time to plan ahead. You know, what size equipment are we going to need? What are our options? And just start chipping away at that a little bit over time, so that when it does uh, drop off and you're you're ready to to select your new one, you you can go into it with good confidence. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things we really love to talk about at A2EP is is the metering and monitoring, uh, and 
metering on its own, you know, what's what's the value of that if it's not going to create action? Um, and often uh, you start off and get interest in this, and the, the interest may may decrease over time. We like the idea that it can give you that feedback of seeing what your your different actions are taken. You can see the results from that. Able if you looked at the things like an, an, the app from your energy retailer, if you've got a smart meter and things like that, uh, have you looked at anything the way of metering and monitoring that? I think at a surface level, yes. And for our farm, I mean, we sort of are just under what would be an average farm size. And so really when it, when we look at the implication for that across the industry and, and particularly looking at resource on farm to have the time to properly look into those sorts of things. It's sometimes not there and that's where we do need to prioritise it. But I would say um, at our at our farm and certainly within our business, business it is something that's accessible and, you know, relatively um, easy in a way to look at. But it's just getting that depth of understanding and having the time to actually dig into what that means and how we might come up with some mitigations if there is obvious solutions for efficiencies to be made. Um, I think for our farm, and I would say probably for a lot of farms, that's really the next um, the next step in looking at how we can actually do that in a time-efficient way. And, and let's talk about time. What's what's anyone uh, recommendations maybe on on time? How, how what, what's what's a way to and what's worthwhile to spend on this per week, per month, that sort of thing? Anyone for Christopher? Well, put, let's see. Um, well, just touching briefly on the, the the metering and monitoring aspect, I think that getting your metering underway is a really helpful way of starting that that process and whether that's the the high level smart meter um, to just get a sense for how your your energy use is fluctuating over time um, by season that's a really good starting point um, and then if you're able to getting a little bit further into say having um metering of your your large energy users on site that then gives you some information over time even if you're not personally actioning it that means that it's there and it's going to be available for um you know say a consultant to be able to look at and and get, help you to understand where there might be equipment issues or to look at sizing um better alternatives indeed and getting that smart meter on site and, and understand there's uh, options there i think a lot of dairy farms through victoria have that maybe not so much in, in new south wales and other states uh, but getting that smart meter on site certainly a good way then to be able to get that uh, more instant feedback rather than just the, the quarterly bill uh, anything else have you uh, chris have you looked at these what watches systems and, and symbol and things like that yeah that's right um i think the the what watchers uh, devices end up being quite Cost effective, and uh, they're, they're able to for, for one um, unit you can measure three different um, circuits. So you'll be able to measure, say, your your milk um, your milk vat uh, for cooling. You'll be able to measure your um, uh, vacuum pumps and your your hot water. So you'll be able to get quite a few different um, services at a, a relative cost. I think it was you know, maybe a, a couple grand, including installation so it's a it's a great way of getting started um what watches comes with its own um little bit of uh monitoring and and uh, additional um services such as symbol offer more insights um if you're ready to make that move as well and april how does a couple of thousand dollars for metering sound 
And I guess for you know all farmers, it always comes back to cost benefit analysis. At the end of the day, we're always looking to you know um, have some level of quantitative measurement on things. But you know, in response to sort of what Christopher's been saying there as well, I think around um, considerations for the amount of data that comes through for a farmer on any one given day, not just in the energy space, but when it comes to you know herd production and all of those sorts of things, we are very saturated with data and it's it's very much about looking at and being able to identify what are those key metrics that at a glance are going to give me a picture of how I'm traveling um so and giving farmers the capability I think to interpret what that that actually means and that then allows them to have a bit of a understanding and appreciation for what is that dollar value because um, in terms of yeah a couple of thousand dollars probably in the large scheme, grand scheme of things, isn't going to break the bank, but really being able to quantify that and to get practice change and to see what value that has for your farm business with respect to all of the other things that are happening on the farm, understanding that data for me is really critical, but understanding it in a way that you don't get um, swamped by it as well is really important. Absolutely. You mentioned key metrics there. I know I've seen reports uh, by Pitt and Sherry. Christopher, you have quite a focus on this uh, energy intensity. Uh, do you want to take us through that as, as an idea of a metric for your energy performance? Yeah, sure. I, I guess if you're looking at, at the farm as a whole, you'd be looking at what your total uh, energy in kilowatt hours is per the volume of milk that's going through. So that yeah, your kilowatt hours per liter. Um, depending on how often you'd be looking at it, you could be looking at it on a monthly basis. You'll be able to see if that goes up or down. Compare that from one season to the next, and also from one year to the next. So, if you're able to have a a baseline that you're comparing to, you can see. Um, take five minutes at the end of a month and see how that month has looked comparative to other ones, and see if something's maybe gone wrong, or if you're doing better than you might have expected. And we talk kilowatt hours. It's usually kilowatt hours per thousand liters. And I understand that the industry average some sitting somewhere around about forty-eight kilowatt hours per thousand liters, somewhere around there, Christopher. But you get many outliers. Uh, uh, if you're up around that sixty or seventy kilowatt hours per thousand liters, that seems like you've got some good potential to to improve then. Yeah, that's right. And it's, it's a good starting point. So if you're at the start of your journey, just seeing where you are on that spectrum, and that'll also help indicate what are the best areas for you to focus on, whether that's um, starting with improving your milk cooling, or if it's looking at um, something a bit more advanced and getting heat recovery and reducing your, your heating inputs. Yeah, indeed. In April, if I said to you, hey, what's your, what's your energy intensity? You're like, oh, oh no, I haven't got that info at my fingertips. I'm not quite that advanced yet. How, how would that feel about trying to trying to go find that out? I think, look, I will admit that my partner is probably more um, involved in that side of the business than I am, so I'm certainly not the expert in that space. But I do, you know, as you were talking, Christopher, reflect on the fact that it, I think it's about being able to identify the quick wins versus the long-term gain and investment and uh, for farmers being able to be conscious of where your capability lies in making those decisions. And for us, you know, there's been some quick wins and some things that are as simple as changing a pump, for example, that mm. was to improve um, efficiency. 
And then you've got the big ticket items, the solar panels and things like that, where that goes beyond our area of expertise. And so you have to be as a farmer in a position where you can identify your threshold and be able to know where to bring that expertise in um, and to the business so you get the best return for yourself. Quick wins, love talking about those, April. You mentioned changing the pump out. What uh, Take us through what, what that one was. That was, yeah, we do pump from a a large dam on our farm quite a way up to the dairy and the water that gets used in the dairy. And it really came down to the size and and capacity of that particular pump that was being used was probably a little bit too small. And to change that over was, I think, $1,000 investment in a new pump. So it wasn't something that was going to break the bank, um, but it was something that could give us a relatively short return on investment. Looking at other other items, so we did have a conversation around solar the panels and what that meant um and that's something that's a bigger decision for us to make, particularly because we are on a lease farm as well. And that's something for farmers to be really conscious of. It is a different conversation if you own the property to make capital investment into that. But we do know that there's a lot of farmers who are in a position of either leasing or share farming. And that is very different decision making when you are looking to make improvements into perhaps um, a piece of infrastructure that you don't actually own. So for us, it's something that's still a a conversation ongoing so that we can work out what that point is of efficiency where we are going to get return on investment for something um, that essentially is not our property. Interesting. And and certainly solar is an interesting case for dairy farms where that energy production that you're getting right in the middle of the day is not when you so much need it. And uh, if you're using that to produce your hot water, great. Uh, But if you can't move those loads to the middle of the day, hard to see the return on investment there. Krista, have you made many assessments on, on solar PV for dairy farms? Yeah, I think we've looked at a number of them. And as you said, the the cows aren't in the shed at the middle of the day, um, but how much you can use that energy does depend on what you're doing on your farm and also how your electricity is set up. So if you're on a shared um, electricity network with your house, for example, then you, you could probably get a you know, good, good share back and forth without uh, necessarily having to export it back to the grid. Or if you're able to put... Um, uh, sort of timers on different equipment, whether that's your your water pumps or um, your your water heating, um, you can still make use of that, that solar. Absolutely, Krista, you looked at some cold uh, thermal storage as well. Uh, could you could you take us through a little bit of that as a concept to, to get a bit more out of your solar and, and look at doing some storing some chilled water or something like that? Yeah, sure. Um, I'll, I'll preface it by saying it's probably not the first thing that you'd you'd want to do on the farm. There's there's other quick wins first, but it's it's something worth thinking about down down the track. Um, and basically, what it is is a way of uh, making use of solar during the day by uh, having a, a chiller on on farm. So you've got your refrigeration chiller that's cooling down water when you've got the solar. Um, production happening and as you pass the water through the chiller you store it in a in a tank um so you've got pre-chilled water that's ready to go when your your cows are ready to to go into the shed so that reduces how much um your real-time cooling will be and it has an added effect of bringing down the, the the temperature of the milk when it goes into the vat so you've got a little bit better product quality as well indeed april i understand you've got one of those systems we do, we do. Yes, no. One of the small innovations that we 
that we have. And, and as I said, you know, we, we do have a lease farm. So a lot of the infrastructure is there from prior to our time that has been, um, that has been set up. And it's something that when it comes to looking at efficiencies that sometimes can be a challenge, but, um, an opportunity as well. April, I was, I was just going to ask, so you, you mentioned you've got, um, uh, a chiller there that, that, pre-cools water during the day. Uh, I was wondering mm-hmm. if you, if I could hear a little bit more about how that works for you and if there's, uh, if it's been painful at all. You can hear my layman's version because I must say that I, sure. I only generally interact with it when there's a problem. So. <laughs> Which hopefully isn't often. But so I do have a very basic understanding. It's not my expertise, but yes, no, we do um, have ice banks. So to, uh, what would you call them, Jared? Like, um, uh, tanks and West Bank, West Bank tanks, yeah, yeah. West Bank tanks, and um, a very old uh, system, but one that most of the time works. We do occasionally have issues with icing and that sort of thing. What probably that's our biggest challenge with that mm-hmm. system is if we do get them icing up. Um, getting the system going again sometimes can be quite time consuming or waiting for that ice to, you know, this big core of ice to defrost mm. and that then takes um, out of action. Your, your water can't flow properly and all those sorts of things. So it takes it out of action. And that's when we notice, you know, cooling is huge difference in cooling. And I, when you mm. were saying there that some people don't have pre-cooling, I sort of was, it boggled my mind a bit of yeah. is that their norm because I know when it's our norm we're worried that it's not going to get cooled in time for the tanker and and those sorts of things and you see the the milk you know slowly ever so slowly creeping down in temperature where it's you know <laughs> it's pretty pretty instantaneous it'd be rare for ours to sit above you know 10 degrees for any great period of time generally when it hits the vat it'll it, the vat by you know, by the end of milking, we'll be sitting five or six degrees and then, you know, it's a couple hours till the tanker comes and it, it gets below. So it's a pretty efficient system, but it is one that because it's a bit older, we do have trouble if there's major issues with servicing. There's not a lot of refrigeration technicians that know the system in our area. Mm-hmm. And that has been a problem in the past if we've had a major breakdown. Um that's also reflective, though, of our area, and there just not been many farms. We're probably the further north you go in Australia, you know, there's less and less concentration of farms, and that sort of equates to less concentration of service providers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, most of our service providers are a couple of hours away, um, and that definitely we've had thoughts around and conversations around, you know, improving or upgrading that pre-cooling system. But again, it's hard when you lease the property um, to really look at, you are looking for returns of a couple of years, not 10 years, not 20 years, that sort of thing really is a bit out of the question um, in our case anyway. And you run that uh, in the evening? You have the, the, the ice bank system running in the evening for off-peak? Yeah, we try to run it off-peak, yep. Okay. Yep. And um, once we've finished milking and that sort of thing can be turned off, then once the milk's down and in the vat and, and cooled, we'll turn it off for the, the day period. Um, and it, it seems to work. It's a little bit manual in that way and certainly mm. have to remember to do that. <laughs> Sometimes my issue. But, um, you know, we I think it makes it worthwhile in the end. It's not an onerous task to flick some switches. Uh, Chris, uh, quick wins. Uh, we talked a bit about metering and monitoring, and you did mention a little bit about uh, sort of pre-cooling and things before. Uh, can you take us through maybe uh, what, what, what's next on your list after you've, you've done, you got sort of maybe some metering and monitoring in place? Or what, what, what next are you looking for for energy savings on farm? 
Um, yeah, milk pre-cooling would definitely be the first one. I, I think from farms that we've looked at, probably 80% had that. Um, and so that that was always a good one to to take off the list and show that, yep, yeah, okay, we're doing that. We're ready to move to the next step. Um, after that, you might look at doing vacuum pump upgrades. Uh, so you might put a, a VSD on there to just bring down um, how much energy your, your milking is, is, is required. Um, after that, it's kind of looking again at, at your refrigeration. So as one of the biggest energy users on farm, it's, it's um, having some metering on that will give you insights into how effective it is, if there's any issues with it, is it cycling more, more than it needs to, and um, you know, looking at strategies to, to reduce the cost of your refrigeration. And you mentioned pre-cooling. Maybe only eighty percent of farms have pre-cool. You, you've, you, there's farms out there still without those pre-cooler. pre-cooler there. Yeah, that's right. There's there's probably a, a couple um, that we came across that didn't have that, or um, probably more commonly that it wasn't as finely tuned as it could be. There, there might be. Um, maybe I'll just speak about it um, generally. Um, but basically the way it works is that you'll you'll have some water on farm um, that you'll use to pre-cool your milk uh, before it, it then gets chilled in the vat. So you'll have a heat exchanger to um, pass through the, the milk on one side and the, the, the town water or the bore water on the other to, to just reduce that temperature down from say 37 to about 20 degrees Celsius. So that's a really big um, improvement to, to your energy costs. Absolutely, we, we've done a few calculations there, and it's uh, it's uh, getting ready to be published on Dairy Australia's website, where we look at uh, roughly one hundred and ten dollars per degree of of pre cooling uh, for a million liters per year dairy shed, and so if uh, and we're certainly aware of and heard of many situations where the pre cool is not optimized, and you can get an extra five degrees. So there's five or six hundred bucks there, pretty easy. Or yeah, if you've got no pre cooler at all, yeah, that's an extra uh, what's it, fifteen twenty odd degrees, uh, thousands of dollars per year for a few thousand dollar investment. Absolutely. Yeah, April, you've got the, you've got the pre cooler on on your farm. Are you, how are you going checking? You do you do much in the way of checking the performance on that one. Yeah, no, we do, and I think that's sort of back to earlier in our conversation. That's one of the affordable, quick wins in a sense that can be achieved on farm, and that you know just. By having some basic understanding of um, cooling processes, there is some really nice tweaks that can be made. And um, we also did an upgrade to our vacuum pump as well. Um, not that long ago, there was a grant process happening. And so that was, I think, a $10,000 investment from memory, but also one that, you know, we felt could have a reasonable return on investment in terms of, in terms of time. Um, so those two things have been really pivotal for our farm. I know that and can speak from experience when that cooling, that pre-cooling system has any issues with it, the noticeable difference in cooling time of that milk um, going from, you know, probably half an hour to several hours to potentially the whole day, depending on how much milk is in the vat um, and how long it takes it to get down. And that has implications, obviously, then in terms of your milk quality as well and, and starting to run into a risk of not getting it to the right temperature at the right time. So it's something that is is quite an affordable win, I would say, and, and probably in terms of monitoring and maintenance and upkeep, something it is is quite an easy thing to implement on farm and have there as a core part of your, your cooling system. 
I'm so glad you mentioned milk quality there because at the end of the day, this is what you know, using energy is, is about is, is improving productivity and things like uh, the value of your products, which is which is the quality and the, your cell counts and things like that. So great to let you introduce that one. Uh, Christopher, multiple benefits, extra productivity benefits. How are you seeing that in improving the the uh, the energy case and things like that? Do you have cases and examples there where you know, you look beyond the energy benefits of this upgrade and, and that can really change the uh, the business case. Yeah, it's the business case and it's often the, the qualitative aspects of a business case that make it um, or that get it across the line. You know, as April mentioned, um, the, the time aspect of, of savings uh, for the vacuum pump, that's that's a really great uh, benefit. And it, it's often hard to quantify exactly what that means. But for some, some people, some farmers that might be in, Getting better sleep at night, and um, you know, less less worry about things breaking down. Um, it's hard to put a price on that, and you know, the more that you can uh, see that being a, an outcome of the work that you want to do, the more that you're willing to put that that time investment in to making sure you get it just right as well. Absolutely, and, and you mentioned uh, sleep at night. A, a recent example I heard was uh, for batteries. And uh, whilst uh, batteries, I'd suggest, is not a great investment to reduce your energy cost, in terms of reliability and peace of mind, it can be very nice. Uh, you know, instead of when that power goes out at 2 a.m., you're up there at 2 a.m. starting up your diesel generator. Not really enjoyable when you're up again at four, hey? <laughs> I will say that I had, um, I, I did really was grateful for our pre-cooling system just last week when the power company did have to turn off the energy for the whole, the electricity for the whole day, sorry. And, you know, instead of, I think we started at 4am to to get done in time and for the milk to cool. But if we didn't have that system in place, it would have been more like 1 or 2am. So that's that makes a huge difference when you do have those uncontrollable factors that come in and, and you still need to make sure your milk gets below 5 degrees regardless of what's happening outside and, and around you. And um, and I will say also that the vacuum pump's a lot quieter now, so it's a much more enjoyable experience. <laughs> well, uh, all these extra little benefits, you've got, you've got to find them. And, and understand even with a VSD vacuum pump, that's getting a much more constant, nicer pressure on the teeth. So that's a, that's a nice benefit. Uh, what about the final one? Like this one of, yeah, as often farms are at that uh, limit of, of 200 or so uh, head of, of cows there, and then they need to go more to get to, to higher production and, and hopefully profitability, but yet they don't have enough power on site. Uh, I seem to seem to a few, a fair few hear about that a fair few times. Uh, April, you, you're aware of this sort of limitation? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it probably runs hand in hand in some ways with the um, land availability as well. And certainly in, in many of the daring regions now, they're sitting, you know, coinciding, I suppose, with urbanisation and some of the increasing land prices that just in some ways mean that we are landlocked with the farms that we have. And um, it's all about looking at how you make the most from what you have and efficiency is name of the game and not necessarily milking more cows to get more money that doesn't necessarily work out as a viable equation it's about trying to find what is that sweet spot and I think that the same can be said for the energy conversation is what is the sweet spot that's going to take advantage and utilize what you have access to without putting too much pressure on the system that it fails you. Absolutely. You've got us nodding heavily here, uh, April. This is exactly what we think about as well. Uh, Christopher, any thoughts on that one on production and what have you? 
Yeah, I think I'm in, in agreement there, and it's it's about you know, making the most of what you do have and and doing spot checks on your equipment, making sure that you're getting the right temperatures through your pre-cooling, um, checking how your, your vats are going, making sure there's no um, obvious losses or leaks that are that are ruining your, your capacity to, to cool, um, because that would be, for example, something that, that will prevent you from being able to service a, a slightly larger herd size or, um, you know, being able to to fit within your uh, your capacities. Wonderful. Well, the April and Christopher has been wonderful talking to you today. Uh, lots of little tips and tricks and insights and way to think about this. I think we uh, got a really good clear message there of uh, getting looking at the efficiency is a, is a great place to start and, and lots of really good wins there and bring along and, and, and really appreciate those other benefits that it brings, whether it's a peace of mind, it's a, a lower, you know, lower, lower sound and or maybe allow you to increase production, a really great way to think about energy performance. So uh, thank you to you both. Uh, much appreciated for having you here today. Pleasure. Thank Thanks, Jared. Thanks, April. And for those that uh, tuned in today, thank you for joining us. And uh, we hope you can join us in the future podcasts coming up in this energy series. series. Uh, where in the next few weeks we're going to explore solar PV and batteries and how to make the investment with the best returns for your money and the best energy performance. We're also going to take a look in future podcasts around solar irrigation as well. Uh, so we look forward to you joining us then. Thank you very much. If you would like to find out more about ways to save energy on farm, visit www.dairyaustralia.com.au and search energy. We have also placed a link in the episode notes. We hope that you have enjoyed this DairyPod episode, and if you have suggestions or ideas for future episodes, you can get in touch by emailing dairypod at dairyaustralia.com.au. Thanks very much for listening, and bye for now. Mm-hmm.